How'd you get inside that cloud? Also, how could you eat an entire box of Pop-Tarts and still be this hungry? This drink, I like it. I know, it's great, right? Another! world outside your window is still not great, but everything is super here on Post Show Recaps. Uh, and guess what? It's another Marvel Cinematic Universe Rewatch podcast here on Everything is Super as we are talking all things God O Thunder, the Thor first film. Here it is. We're talking about it. I'm here with the Kevin son himself, Kevin Mahadeo. Kevin, how are you? I am good it's funny i love that line that's like one of the lines that i called out where it's just like when he calls colson son of coal i was like this is great this is great son this is of, fun yeah. son this of, is son of coal yeah this is the most fun i think of the movies we've seen so far in terms oh, of really? like comedy in terms of comedy yeah uh-huh. like yeah. The jokes i think were great i'm not saying it's it's the best of what we watched but in terms of like the Marvel movies we love and like the funniness and like the comedy beats, this is the one that I think really hit the note of what we're going to be seeing in the future. Yeah. Uh, and obviously I think uh, Thor Ragnarok tops a lot of lists for people yes, as in, it should. Ter- in terms of their favorite MCU movies and it, at least charts really, really high. I think for you and I, I doubt we're going to be in any level of disagreement saying that it's Ragnarok og thor and then the dark world and it's probably like big gulfs between each of those entries um uh at least i think so um but i i did forget just how much fun this movie is one take that i've always had about the original thor that holds to this date is sort of in in the same way that iron man succeeds so well because it just so perfectly casts Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark as Iron Man that you can't imagine anyone else embodying that role. I I don't know that Thor is necessarily the same. Like there may have been, and we have a few other actors to talk about of like people who were in contention for the role. I don't know that this was like an uncastable part. I don't know that Loki was an uncastable part. Um, but they they effectively Marvel Studios effectively finds Chris Hemsworth and effectively finds Tom Hiddleston and pulls these people out of relative obscurity. Not that they hadn't done anything in their careers. He sired James T. Kirk, sir. (laughs) That is correct. That is correct. Uh, He is the the, the Kirk father, uh, is is Chris Hemsworth, George Kirk himself, in in the original Star Trek reboot, 2009. His first feature film uh, credits, actually a TV series. He was in two episodes of a thing called Guinevere Jones as King Arthur, so oh I gosh. assume that means, you know, <laughs> he was always worthy, um, but he was basically, you know, he was George Kirk for a blip and that was it. And then he's Thor. Tom Hiddleston's in a bunch of a bunch of things here and there. Some some British TV. Um, he's on a show called Wallander with Kenneth Branagh, uh, who goes on to direct Thor. Can't imagine that it's a coincidence that the two of these people are working together here on Thor. The thing that I'll always say about Thor is this was a star-making movie. Uh, This was a movie that uh, is about a hammer forged in a star, a dying star, Uh, but it's a movie that produced two bona fide movie stars in in Chris Hemsworth and Tom Hiddleston, and the ways in which they embody the characters of Thor and Loki 
elevate so many of the uh, the other issues that sometimes I do have with this movie. Um, it's really just the, the casting and the chemistry between those two characters. And the sense of humor. And, it, and it's fun to revisit this one, too, also knowing that apparently Natalie Portman is going to be a part of the MCU again at some point. So, like, some of this energy, I'm, I'm kind of reexamining it to see, like, well, what if, what if, what if this lightning are we going to try and recapture in a bottle when we, when we get to Love and Thunder a few years from now? Well, um, so, I don't know. I had, I, had fun, I had fun watching this one, Kevin. I had a lot of fun watching this one. And you bring about interesting points, though, because there's, there's, there's a lot of great things and there's a lot of bad things about this movie. And Natalie Portman... I don't think there's a ton that's, like, outright bad. There's one thing that I think is pretty bad. Um, You'll have to bring it up. I'm, and then I'm sure I'll be like, oh, yeah, oh, God, I can't believe I didn't say that wasn't bad. Yeah, I mean, if you want to bring it up now, like, I, all I have to say is uh, I did not, and I still do not care about any sort of love story between Jane Foster and uh, Thor. Oh, like, oh, no, we we do disagree on this. Oh, no, it's it's trash. Like, oh, come it's on. Not, it's not trash at all, because they're not in love. They're no, in, see, here's they're the in, thing. They're in very deep lust. A exactly. very, very hot alien man falls from space and lands in front of, like, the most beautiful woman of all time, Natalie Portman, the, the crush of so many people of that age, and so many people of any age, because Natalie Portman is a perfect human. Uh, and they just, like, they, like, just really want to do it very, 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 very badly. And Thor is promising, like, I'm going to save Earth, and I'm going to come back to Earth so that I can come back and, like, we can hang out and we can hook up. That's how I've always viewed the Thor and Jane Foster relationship. Future movies bear out that it really doesn't go anywhere. So I have no problem with them just being like heavily in lust with one another. And that totally makes so much sense to me. Joshua, I would agree with you. I also think that's what that relationship should have been. And it was for the majority of the movie up until the end, because, like, to me, it was lust. It was all this lust thing. I want to go back, and the two of us are going to bone each other fine. But when you have the climax of the movie is Loki yelling at him, like, what are you doing? You'll uh-huh. never see her if you crashed a bra- Bifrost. Right, and it's just right. like, oh, you're not going to get your rocks off? That's your motivation? Yeah. No, no it's not enough. It's not enough. Like, that I, moment I mean, like, something ruined like, it. No, I don't think it ruined it. I don't it think it ruined it. Ruined it. it. Like, maybe they, for you. They, maybe for you. They pushed too much into like his motivation like the the worst thing that can happen about smashing the bifrost is that he won't go see jane again and that's insane there's well, so even many Loki's other like things. she I, I mean like she's perfect she's perfect if you smash the bifrost you two beautiful beautiful people will never you know get to like make lady sif is babies. right there right you I know, know like jamie alexander's she's right also there she is and it's also, also like at the end of the movie is he sad that his brother is dead? That his dad is like, you know, had a messed up situation? No. The saddest thing at the end of the movie is like, oh, well, I can't see Jay. Like, they, right, that, sure. that ending, I would have agreed with you, but the, the, the fact that they Hollywooded the necessity of like, this needs to be a love story. Whereas sure, the movies sure. we've seen previously didn't really do too much of that. And I appreciated that part of the other films. And like, it did not work in this. And we don't see a lot of it. Like, it's so hard to like, build that up and we're gonna test my theory uh next week but they spent two days to each other and this is a problem with all movies that do this and, oh, and why i, I, I kind I, of I totally agree i totally yeah. agree I, meanwhile I captain the, america and peggy spends an entire war they, and they, around yeah, they spend other. they spend years we'll, we'll yeah. talk about that next week for sure i i hear the complaint the complaint is filed i totally get it uh <laughs> i definitely felt very very similarly when i watched it the first time and i think maybe one of the things that's saving it uh saving me uh saving it for me this time um is is i think like 
so for one, Emily and I, my wife and I, we just crushed all of the the before trilogy, uh, the Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy movies, where it all only takes place over the course of a few hours in a day, and two people fall in love, uh, tr- strangers on a train. Uh, and so I do now. Uh, uh, movies have convinced me that that is a possible thing. Uh, so for for Thor and and Jane to to fall for each other is not the least plausible thing. Maybe they spent more time together, like those characters did. They spent an entire night before sunset. Well, hey, so did they? Didn't you? They Thor and Jane spent all night together outside the RV, and they fell asleep by the fire. And yeah, we didn't get to see everything. She was asleep when he came home, meaning it was like 10 p.m. And then she fell asleep soon after. They spent at max like three hours together. You don't know if that's soon after. Maybe he comes home at 10 p.m. And maybe by the time that she's fallen asleep, it's like four. That's a long night. Six hours. Yeah, it's a good stretch of time. You get mm. to know someone really well over six hours. <laughs> I'm not here to like highly strongly defend the Jane <laughs> and Thor love story. Uh, I'll definitely say it is among the weaker parts of this movie for sure. The thing that's really uh, fairly unforgivable for me is the excessive use of the Dutch angle. Uh, the film, <laughs> the filmmaking technique where everything is just like off balance uh, on a strange tilt. And this movie, Kenneth Branagh, who is an artist that I deeply admire as an actor, uh, as a filmmaker, uh, as a storyteller and a thinker, uh, the great Gilderoy Lockhart uh, is among like the lower pedigree things that he's done. <laughs> How dare you? You know, this, this man who's hired by Marvel to imbue Thor with this Shakespearean energy. And he really is trying to bring that here. And I think that that's typically the stuff that works less for less well for me than like when the movie's really steering into like the crocodile Dundee of it all, like the fish out of water elements. I think that that's, that's much better, but man, I, I get, I get it. Maybe like if, if Branagh's trying to go for like this idea of like, we're, we're in another universe now. We're bringing in a whole new world. Everything should look a little bit off than what you saw in Iron Man, and that's why everything's off axis. But it just, the movie is filmed in a way that has always been uh, a little bit unpalatable for me. That is the biggest issue that I have with Thor, is it's a little hard to actually watch. It's like a little hard to enjoy the filmmaking of it. The performances are are really really great by everybody except the Warriors Three, uh, like who I really <laughs> again do how not, dare you? <laughs> who I really do not care for that much. Lady Sif, I love. Uh, big fan of Hogan. I'm I'm not here for Fandral. I'm not here for Volstag. Uh, even though uh, by saying that he uh, Ray Stevenson who plays Volstag, aka the former Punisher. I'm I'm asking for the a, former other other Punisher. <laughs> that's right. Uh, it's really the filmmaking is is the thing, um, and it's interesting because there's a, uh, once again the great Torbjorn Fraser has has uh, hooked us up with some info about the the road to making Thor, uh, and a few uh, prominent names are attached to Thor uh, potential adaptations over the years, including Sam Raimi in the 1990s. Uh, he had pitched it to 20th Century Fox. Fox didn't understand it. Um, <laughs> Uh, Sony uh, had David Goyer, uh, writer of the Dark Knight trilogy, in negotiations to write and direct it back in like 2004. Um, Matthew Vaughn, who went on and made one of the better X-Men movies, for sure. X-Men Absolutely. First Class, the guy behind Kick-Ass. Uh, he, was, he was being looked at to direct in 2007. Uh, it didn't go through. Uh, Guillermo del Toro was also approached, apparently. Uh, and I think probably at that time, He's too auteur for Marvel at this moment, I think. Like, I think a GDT Marvel movie now is something that I could see happening. 
Um, I think at the time, just no way. Uh, and it's in December 2008 that Kenneth Branagh signs on. And I remember, you know, reporting on this. This is something I've talked about on the podcast. Hi, Josh Wiggler, entertainment reporter. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I was covering this stuff for MTV at the time. And I remember Kenneth Branagh getting announced to direct Thor. I was like, whoa, that's a choice. That's really interesting. And the thing that excited me about that is that they were going to get a guy who understood character, who really understood how to... Um, how to how to get like a, a really strong performance out of actors uh himself being such a legendary actor being somebody who has who has stood on the stage and spoken the bard's words uh so many times and i think as a performance movie this is one that really does wait for it perform uh not the least of which is because they 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 you know bring hemsworth and hiddleston out of relative obscurity to play these great characters and it it could have been it could have gone differently there are some other people who are in consideration for these parts daniel craig apparently was offered the role of thor which would have no. been very odd no I only way. know one for sure who auditioned which made me laugh because of who ended up getting cast in the movie yeah um can you imagine? Because like, uh, I'm assuming you're going to bring up Alexander Skarsgård. Right. Um, Alexander Skarsgård was in the mix for a while. Yeah. I remember when, when that was starting to be reported out, I was really excited about that because uh, loved, loved Ace Scars from, from True Blood. Yeah. Uh, and he uh, speaks the language and his, instead his dad gets cast in the movie, which Stellan, I think is very funny. Stellan Skarsgård got cast in the movie after it didn't work out for Alexander Skarsgård, which I also thought was very funny at the time, yep. but also a little sad. Um, but some people who were in the mix who are you know names that you know um josh hartnett was in consideration at one point where did he go i don't know um, he, he came and went and came back i mean like he was gone yeah. and he came back with like sin city for a hot second and he disappeared again and then he it came in penny dreadful people were like oh penny dreadful josh hartnett and then yeah. he's gone again and it was like where did um, that man go charlie hunnam uh who oh, no nah <laughs> I, I i love charlie hunnam i don't think it would have been it would have worked uh uh, Charlie Hunnam of, of Sons was, of Anarchy fame. Okay, and so he was also the one in... Wait, was he the one in Tron Legacy? Or was he the no, one in... No, 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 Pacific no. Rim. Uh, Pacific Rim. Okay. Yeah. Him and the Tron Legacy guy, ready, they look a go? lot like... This one's for real! <laughs> yeah, so sadly, Charlie Hunnam and Thor were not drift compatible. Hey. Um, Joel Kinnaman was in the mix. Joel Kinnaman of The Killing. Joel, Joel Kinnaman of Altered Carbon. He I was in Joel the mix. Kinnaman very well. <laughs> uh, Liam Hemsworth apparently That's tested really funny. for Thor. Uh, He'll show up is, eventually in Thor, though. I I think Luke Hemsworth shows up in. Oh, Thor. was it Luke Hemsworth? In, yeah, in Luke Ragnarok? Hemsworth. Yeah, Luke Hemsworth, not in consideration for <laughs> Thor, with with, with respect. Um, the the funniest of the Thors that almost were. And you can see his audition because I think it, it was included on a Blu-ray at one point in time. Tom Hiddleston himself really uh, was in the running to play Thor. At one Interesting. Point in can you imagine them walking in the room? You have Tom Hiddleston looking like he does and Chris Hemsworth looking like he does. And they're just like, um, I think we know which roles you guys are actually going to be. <laughs> but I, I, you got to imagine like Branna is like, you got to look at this guy, Tom Hiddleston. I worked with him on this show. Wallander. Uh, he's a really great actor. Let's bring him in. And then he tests and they're like, yeah, way pass on him for Thor. But that dude's definitely Loki. Um, Cause to, you know, just to, to spoil it, there's just no chance that we walk away from this podcast and Tom Hiddleston as Loki isn't the number one villain of the Marvel Cinematic Universe so far with a bullet. Yeah, um, not even not even a question. It's not even a question. It's so obvious. Everybody knows it. And it's one of the really, really, really tremendously great performances 
uh, through through four movies now in the MCU uh, to the point that we're talking about here. But it's a stacked cast, man. Like it's a huge cast, and I think you know it's actually funny because I did want to I did want to bring this up uh, when you we were talking about Chris Hemsworth and like yes he was relatively unknown nobody knew who he was but uh, I will never forget this because way back when Robin and I saw this movie and we were talking about it um, uh, Robin said and this is basically a quote. Uh, just based on his attractiveness and build, Robin said, if someone came up to her and said Chris Hemsworth was the literal Thor god of thunder, she'd believe it. Yeah! Like, you, sure. you have this dude who is just, he looks like the physical like embodiment of Thor. And, like, they hit the cast and his personality nailed it, like, the way he portrays it. Um, I think what's funny is that as much as Ragnarok changed the world around Thor... Thor himself, you do see the glimpses of what that character should be existing in this movie. They just leaned harder into it. And I think that ultimately was the right choice. If there is a fault in this movie, you know, relationship aside, that's plot. But the movie itself, it actually kind of shocks me how long, when you have the colorful world of Asgard, when you have this bright, amazing, interesting otherworldliness, that it took them until the third movie to be like, nah, we shouldn't be on Earth. Especially in this movie where it's just like, you know where... Thor should take place in the desert. Like, right. w- the setting didn't work for it. And I could totally see that being like a necessity, right? Like, you, you had, like, and th- this is like you said, the performances are great, but the story and these little parts of it where it's just like you can see, like, it's got to have a love story. It's got to take place on Earth, like Masters of the Universe. You can't do this other world stuff just yet. I mean, if, if Guardians had hit and then Thor, yeah, we would have had Ragnarok first, probably. Oh, yeah, for sure. But like we don't get Guardians if we don't have Thor. And that is another thing to talk about with this movie is that this movie um, has had the hardest job of any movie since Iron Man in the MCU. Um, Iron Man has to be good enough to prove that like they can make movies like this. So that is the tallest order. Um, But the next tallest orders uh, are the next three on the docket. It's it's this. It's Thor. It's can you make the star spangled superhero work for everyone in Captain America? And then can we make all of these uh, spandex wearing crazy people work together in one giant film? Absolutely. Um, so it's, you know, it, it's, it's a lot of really hard things to work on. And you, we could argue until we're blue in the face as to like which of those challenges is the toughest but there's an argument that it's Thor uh, because this is opening up literal worlds that the MCU can now explore. And they have to find a way to make that believable within the context of everything that we've seen in Iron Man so far. So that when you get Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Hemsworth in a scene together, you buy that these two people share a world. Um, and that's not easy, and there are ways in which I think this movie fails, but there's ways in which it really succeeds. It succeeds strongly through uh, through through Hemsworth and Hiddleston, and just like the story of these two brothers who are torn yes. apart and basically competing for their dad's affection. Um, it's 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 grounded in a in a terrific because he's Anthony Hopkins. It's always going to be terrific, a terrific Anthony Hopkins performance. Um, it's got uh, a, a very I, you know, some of like the, this is the tree of life and your realm and my realm and this realm. It's like, okay, so you're an alien, you know, like, but they, they dance around it in a way that, that, that works. 
Um, and I think tying it to a science crew and tying it to this little town in the middle of nowhere, um, I think that this is some of the best product placement that's ever been in a movie. It's like the Seven Eleven stuff. It's just like, yeah, that's just what would ha- that's what you'd have in a town, and yep. you're blowing it up, and it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> like a lot of that product placement totally works for me. If we were doing product placement power rankings, uh, this would be number one over Burger King right now, but Burger King's <laughs> still relatively high. Um, and I, I just think it's such a difficult job that, like, the idea of, like, yeah, we're going to get Guardians of the Galaxy and then we would get, you know, a Thor Ragnarok-quality Thor movie for sure, but we can't even get to Guardians of the Galaxy if they can't do Thor at least most of the way right. And I think that they do this, they, they hit above average on this for sure. Um, but the other piece is what, you, what you're speaking about is, like, this is a good Thor movie in a lot of ways. There's some ways in which it's, like, a little angsty and annoying, Um but Hemsworth is a very funny guy. He's and great. He, and he does great comedic timing at the top of the podcast. You're hearing it. Like, it's it's the whole another scene of him smashing the coffee cup, uh, which is just so, so funny and just timed so perfectly well. And he's surrounded by great scene partners for it as well. Kat Dennings, the meow meow of it all, is very underrated and extremely my shit. Uh, so you're not going to get uh, me to say a bad thing about Kat Dennings' contributions to any of this. I do have him, a like, question about it, though. Sure, we'll we'll get there. Him drinking still in Skarsgård under the table is just super super fun. I still don't believe you're the god of thunder, but you <laughs> should be. Uh, it's just is is really really great, uh, and I get why they need to do it so that they can like bring him to Earth, make him care about Earth. Do they fully sell it? Not really. Other than for me, it's like literally like I just headcanon it as I gotta get back to Earth. I I gotta get back to Jane ASAP. Like uh, we like Jane and I have a date. We gotta we gotta meet at this train station in six months to to borrow the parlance of before sunset uh, sunrise actually. Um, but the the stuff that really hits is there's before the raid on Jotunheim, Kevin, in the beginning of the movie um, when when Thor and Loki and Odin all go down into the chamber and Odin is talking about how like they swung and they missed and let's just let it go because that's the strategic and wise thing to do to maintain the peace. And Thor doesn't want anything to do with any of that. He just wants to go and he wants to fight. And Odin's telling him, you're thinking like a warrior. And Thor's like, but I'm the king. And Odin says, but you're not a king. He has the great line read on that. And isn't that the arc for Thor, ultimately? Is, Is like once Marvel gets a real handle on Thor, it was right in front of them the whole time. This is not a man who really wants to be the king because he's not going to be good at it. He's good at going out and adventuring and slamming hammers into people who tell him to go run away, little princess. Uh, and so there, there are some moments like that that are really, really fun for me in the hindsight and in the context of uh, really the three-movie arc of Ragnarok, Infinity War, and Endgame, and whatever the future holds for him next. That I think that like those movies... Uh, and, you know, that's something that we're doing here is we're re-watching these movies. We're re-examining these movies with the full extent of the Infinity Saga under our belt to re-examine them. And those are some of the ways that I think gave this viewing of Thor, for me, a really big boost in terms of its entertainment value. Yeah, and you you get a lot of that. You see, like like you said, the character journey of Thor from, you know, arrogant and, like, wanting to be the king to realizing he shouldn't maybe be king, to having having to become king, and then finally realizing, like, as a king, he kind of failed, and maybe this isn't right for him. Um, which, touch and go on that. I mean, that'll be an interesting conversation, actually, if, if we ever get to Thor Ragnarok to Endgame, um, that stuff, because I do have mixed feelings on it, but 
I think for this movie, like you said, it set up a lot of stuff. It also sets up Loki in a very interesting way as a character. I mean, the Loki we see here is obviously not the Loki we end up with at the end. And you really see an interesting journey for this character, especially looking at where it started from, especially looking you know, um, at what he's like and, and his motivations and, and where he ultimately ends up at like the end of his life, I guess. Uh, spoiler alert, what? Um, you know, yeah, by, but by that's going to be, they're going to Disney plus him back to life. So it should be. Yeah, fun. I mean, they, they've got ways around it, but it is, it is interesting. And it's also, I have to call out that scene um, in, in the beginning parts too, because that, uh, that flashback they had to like kid Loki and kid uh, Thor. I don't know who or how they found those kids, but those are that's some good familial casting. Sometimes you're just always like, that kid does not look like who he grows up to be. No, that, those kids were spot on, I thought. Yeah, like, they good. absolutely looked like they're going to grow up to be who they are, and that Thor looked like he could be the son of Anthony Hopkins. Like That was some good casting even in that. And I think that goes back to what you are just saying, I think, about the casting level in this being so high and being so um, stringent, I think, in, in making those performances right and those uh, those aspects correct. Um, but you are correct. I mean, you, you look, this movie had to happen. And I, I, you're right. We could argue blue in the face on it. For me, Thor is one of the more difficult things to, to, to hit, especially Thor and Cap. You're absolutely right. Like being in marketing, I know that essentially being a movie that has anything to do with space or aliens or like weird sci-fi, which Thor has a lot of, and specifically period pieces are like death sentences for films. Um, they're essentially like two genre and like those movies tend to be like hard passes a lot because people don't want to hit it unless you're doing a war movie, which haha, Cap did. Um, period piece is just, it's not a thing. And the same thing with this, like having like weird Asgardian space stuff. It's like people don't want to touch it. Studios believe like it's not going to succeed. So this movie had to have that balance. You are correct. They have to do a lot and it had heavy lifting. It had to lift up an almost impossible hammer in order to make that thunder strike and prove that they're worthy. And at the end of the day, they did. They proved the worthiness of the film and of this, you know, direction of the Marvel Universe. And I think that you're right. Like, Iron Man had to happen. Thor had to happen. Cap had to happen. And ultimately, Avengers had to happen. And everything had to happen right. And more or less, they all did and we got I think they, where we they are. had to like they had to get like a not just a passing grade yeah they had to like pass at like a b minus at worst you know yes. like they really couldn't go much lower than that and they uh, did mostly may, a good job maybe a c like yeah. maybe they could have gotten away with a c for thor and like i could i i could understand if like you walked away from thor you're like eh, it was it was fine I like I liked the actors. I didn't love the movie, but I liked the actors. That was my take for a very long time, and I still think like I definitely like the actors more than I like this movie. Uh, and that's important because at this point, you know, Avengers is a thing. Avengers yes. has been announced at this point. You know that's coming. Um, so as long as they get that, that's the stuff that they need to get. And it's 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 very shrewd business too, but dangerous business too. Um, that you know, this is not a movie that's going to have like. Uh, a monstrous budget it's uh, to say 150 million dollars is not monstrous uh is is a ridiculous thing to say um but there are movies with with bigger budgets than that um to invest in in two actors who could be like relative unknowns that now have to like bring thor and loki into the public consciousness because you're not just investing in the star of this new franchise who's going to be a principal avenger in the avengers movie you're making you're also investing in the guy who's going to be the main bad guy in that Avengers movie in Tom Hiddleston. So huge investments are having to be made here. It's shrewd business to be going after two people who aren't going to command like a crazy payday. 
but that's also so dangerous because you don't know what you're going to get necessarily. Um, and I think that that is, again, just like it's such a testament to, to, to the casting directing that goes across the MCU. Just such a keen eye for, for talent um, and, and Feige's leadership uh, as well, uh, that, that all of that really ends up connecting here. And I think because you have two actors who are sort of like in this, like, you know, they're coming into their prime through these movies that affords you the chance. Like you can throw in Natalie Portman. Everyone in the world is in love with Natalie Portman. You can kind of just shortcut your way into Thor falls in love with Natalie Portman. I think that that they bank on that a bit. I really do agree with you that I, I typically hate the structure of a story. That's like all, everything took place in 24 hours said the biggest 24 fan everything took place in 24 hours in this two hour movie where like the world almost ended and blah 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 and you people fell in love like i do tend to think that that stuff is way too fast and let a story play out longer it's one of the reasons why i can't wait to talk about first avenger next week because i love that that story plays out over years i think it really helps the characterization of everybody um but they shorthand it it's nat po you love nat po we love you natalie she has a line that's vulgar <laughs> that i'm not going to respond if you know the digital short you can get Tony Hopkins in here. Selling Skarsgård is not like a blockbuster name, but that guy is the thing, right? Like he is a, a tremendous actor, and everything he touches is great. And especially Deep Blue Sea. Cat Daddy, <laughs> I didn't remember he was in Deep Blue Sea. Guys aren't bitten off by a shark. It was great. I love that movie, by the way. That's not even a knock against Deep Blue Sea. I legit love Deep Blue Sea. <laughs> uh, deepest bluest. My head is like a shark's fin. Exactly. Um, <laughs> Cat Dennings, who I know some people don't love, but I think is so funny in this movie. Um, even Renee Russo is in this. So like they, right? got some, they, got some, <laughs> they got some really great people to, to be in the movie. And I think that it really, it really helps things out. But this is also a movie that um, not just has to bring an alien to earth and make that make sense, but they also have to like Avengerify it a little bit more. So you get a lot more shield in your, in your origin movie here. You get a lot of Phil Coulson here. You get the first Hawkeye appearance. Jeremy Renner shows up on set and for 10 minutes had to have been. It, and it, it's literally just an Avengers commercial. Yeah. Um, and for me, it was fun to like go, to be like, all right, hey, the band's really starting to form. We've seen just about everybody except Cap right now. So like, mm-hmm. I'm starting to get excited as our rewatches uh, escalating. But like, maybe there are ways in which Thor. I don't know. You tell me. Like, what's the line between is is this like really fun fan service and world building, or is some of it a little too cute? Because this is a very Easter egg heavy movie that maybe like people who are just fans of the movies miss out on like Donald Blake is Thor's alter ego yep. in the comics. Uh, he has like a human form. He poses as Donald Blake and that's the name of uh, Jane Foster's ex in this, who he assumes the identity of briefly. Um, there's a, a, a storefront or a, a, a banner that says like tales of wonder, right? Or journey into wonder or something like that, which references the comics. Um, it's not just Stanley cameo watch that we have to be on this time. <laughs> J. Michael Straczynski, I, who, who uh, wrote a prolific run on on Thor, and uh, I forget the artist who uh, who rendered the new look for Thor. Is it Olivier Coipel? I think. Yeah, that's right. Is the name of the artist, the comic book artist who uh, illustrated Thor, and like for the first time, like gave armor to his arms, which like was this like kind of like how did nobody think to do that before? He just like looks so much more badass and like armored up before yeah, like chainmail. Thor always just like had like the naked guns and sometimes they make that work really well in future movies, but it just looks really, really great with the chainmail. Like his costume right out the gate, I think looks really, really good. But there's like all of these like ways that the, that the movie is 
tipping the hat and winking and nodding at its own comic book history and and loving on the people who love Thor from the comics. Um, and then also doing this world building that's angling towards Avengers. Is that hot or cute for you, Kevin? And is it like too cute? Where do you land on all of that stuff? Is this also just stuff that needs to get done as we're as we're on ramping for for this crazy movie that they're going to try and do? I think it needed to get done. I think they had to do it, and I think it's it's difficult for me to answer because even then I was still a fanboy, and the, the, these are things that were made for me. And the question became like, were they doing things that alienated or isolated an audience who didn't get those references? And clearly, they didn't. From the success of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, clearly they succeeded in that. But playing towards the fans and having these references and doing these little things, I think, worked really well because it showed a dedication to the stories. It showed a dedication to the fans themselves to want to play fan service. And I think that's something the Marvel Universe leaned more more into as, as, as they went to the benefit. Like, giving the fans what they want isn't always a bad thing if you do it right, if you earn it. And Marvel proved time and again, I think, throughout this entire amazing journey that we all go on for these films that that they did they earned it and i think starting a little bit here worked out i think the shield stuff in iron man felt a little bit forced but i think it felt a little more natural here it, it would make sense that shield just surrounded the hammer um getting more colson worked for me because like honestly this is the most we ever got of colson up until this point and will be the most we get up until avengers and it's crazy looking at it now because i remembered colson being this like big deal and he is we still love him and like i think this is the movie that made us love him his line of like i don't know stark never tells me anything is great like right. his read on that was so fantastic like you know clark Gregg is fantastic in this role so um, fantastic that they killed him off and then made a seven season tv show about him yes i mean we can talk about that when it happens but um I, yeah i mean like he's a character we all loved and for us at the time this is the most crossover we've gotten we haven't had a character make an appearance like this throughout all these movies so colson was the first one to really do it so and i think it worked i think it set up a lot of stuff it it it, it went in not asking for permission but if it failed would ask for forgiveness and i think it worked in in this regard and i think that was the right approach for them um you know, again, there there were so many little things in there that I liked. Like the JMS cameo was really great. You know, that's something for us fans to see and be like, oh my God, it's J. Michael Straczynski. That's amazing. He's trying to lift the hammer. He can't. Like even with the people trying to all lift the hammer and not being able to do it was straight out of JMS's comic, really, like that entire scene. Um, Stan Lee's cameo, I actually think might be my favorite now, actually, above the, the Hulk one. I just loved him licking out the car and the truck and just being like, did it work? Like I thought that was uh. really fun. I don't um, know. I th- I, th- I still think the fact that he's drinking gamma radiated <laughs> soda has to be above it. But this could definitely we can consensus agree on number two. How about that? Yeah, that's fine. I think right, the biggest good. thing for me and something that we actually glossed over just because of where we are now as people and what we've seen is thinking back. The fact that they actually did Asgard when my past self saw at like, oh, my God, they're actually doing Asgard. That was a surprise because, like, we didn't know going in they were going to go full Asgard. Um, we thought, you know, they were going the Ultimates route, which was a route they could have taken. I think would have been a safer route. Um, we're in the I don't know what that I don't know what that yeah, means. I'm, actually, I'm going to explain this out. So, in the Ultimate Universe, which we sort of referenced here, which is this alternate universe that's a more modern take on these characters that kind of put them more in a grounded real world. Um, Thor shows up in that comic and claims he's Thor, the God of Thunder, and he has these powers, but he also has a belt and a hammer. And in this world, it could just be like, that's just tech that gives him the power. For a long, long time in those comics, it was a question like, is he just a crazy person or is he actually Thor, the God of Thunder? 
um, which they could have done here. They could have absolutely never answered that question. And the ultimate, it plays out incredibly well. And it's, it's a moment and it's amazing. Like that last issue of ultimates that Mark uh, Millard did um, is one of my favorite runs actually. Um, well, there's a lot of favorites, but that one is up there. Like I really like how he played out the entire story from start to finish, but that, you know, they could have done that. They could have done the, like this we won't show Asgard. We won't play around with it. The other characters do show up in the ultimates, but it's never answered. Is he just crazy or is he Thor? Um, but they went for it. They went for it. And when I sat in the theaters and it was just like Asgard, you know, at the beginning it was like he got hit by a car and then Asgard. I was like, oh my God, they're doing it. They're going for it. It's happening. Like, uh, that was exciting. Times he gets hit by a car. So many times. I love that they did it twice. Like, how are we going to find him? Boom, car. Uh, so I, I thought really, that was I mean, funny. that's really, really funny. Really exactly. Funny. This, I think this movie see? has a great sense of humor. Rack it has a, the funnier movie by far. Yes. But this is actually a really funny movie. And it's set up that, like I said, I think it, it allowed it allowed Marvel to be comedic. This this is actually this might be the movie that really set the groundwork of what the Marvel universe could be moving forward. Because like yeah. it it didn't play super safe anymore. It allowed for comedy and it allowed for like these crazy elements that happen in comics. It allowed for the destroyer armor to walk around blasting his face blast at things, which is nuts. And I think again it, it worked really well while still keeping it i think pretty grounded in in the sense and i think like you said it had to be you know it had to be in new mexico it had to be in a small town and worked for it um so yeah that's that's my tough take on it like i said i'm of two minds i'm the wrong person to ask but i think i think they did it right i think they they leaned in as much as they should have well let's let's talk about some more of like the asgardian side of of things and like the storylines there and everything that's going on with, with Odin versus, versus Laufey versus the fact that Loki is secretly a frost giant child, which I actually had completely forgotten. They really never ended up doing anything with that. And what, like he just like makes him Caucasian. Like he just, <laughs> er- he just like erases his blue frost giantness. That's yes. not, that's not necessarily cool, Odin. I get. I, I guess I get what you're doing. I guess like I. I don't. I don't like fully understand like if Loki is a frost giant. How does he have some of the powers that he has? Do all the frost giants have these shape shifting abilities? There's some of that stuff that I I had forgotten, and I don't know how well, to track it. So maybe you can. I can. There's a simple. Help, there's, how, a, there's a simple simple that. answer for all of that. That was the way it was in the Norse myth. Like legit, I think that that's that's literally all it is. Like in the Norse mythology, Loki is the son of a frost giant Great. that Thor adopted, and they were just like, "All right, that's what it is," and like that's what they ran with. And uh, you know, you do you're right. There's a lot of questions, but that's how mythology played out. There's a lot of questions. In okay, mythology. cool. All right, no, that's um, good enough. That's good enough yeah, for me. So I'm happy with that. That's fine. <laughs> that's the actual answer. And then maybe someone on Asgard was like, yo, Loki, check out my magic tricks. This is how I do my stuff. And he's like, yeah, I'll never forget any of that. That's And it stuff. never gets old either. Every time Loki fakes out with the other Loki, it's perfect. And then they play off it so well when Thor's throwing a cannon at his head in, in, in Ragnarok. It's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He does He does a good job. He's pretty good at that. But what do you think of like the Frost Giant stuff? Uh, all of like some, some of the bells and whistles on, on Asgard. Asgard itself looks amazing i'll never forget like watching asgard like show up in like the trailer or even in the movie for the first time just being like man they're really going for it it looks pretty cool like right, it looks yeah. pretty cool like that stuff's really great but like you know we're we're allowing people to rank all of the villains here as you and i are going through these podcasts and so it's not just like the one villain we've opened it up to like the sidekick villains as well uh, i don't think that you and i are going to be showing a lot of respect for the destroyer and Lofi, Laufey? Laufey. The Night King. 
the the Night King. Laufey Laufey walked to the Night played King by, to run. Played by a terrific actor, by the way, Colm Fiore, who I who I love and is uh, an exceptional performer. Uh, but it's just kind of wasted here. Yeah, the, here's the, the thing, and I, and I had a difficult time, and ultimately you'll see my rankings at the end. But like to me, Laufey and the Destroyer armor aren't aren't villains. Like in the other movies, you had opportunities to be like, okay, this is how these are actual villains in here, but. Loki is the villain of this movie, and those are instruments and tools of his villainy. Um, Laufey and the Destroyer armor don't count as their own individual villains because they were just using, you know, Loki was just using them as a means to his own plans. Like, he was the the villain of the piece, and to rank them as villains, I think, does a disservice to all of it as well because I don't think those characters were made and presented to be villains. They're tools. And, um... That's why wow, for this harsh. I had a very difficult time ranking it because I think, can't believe you called uh, called the Frost uh, King giant a tool. He is. Have you look at what you're look at what you're inviting? Do you think we should uh, ask the everything is super audience uh, whether or not we should be ranking some of these ancillary villains or should we just be keeping it to like the central villains of a piece? I think central villains. I'll put it out to the crowd and see what they want, and like we can rank it that way. But I think a villain has to be a key aspect and have key um uh agency into to a certain extent into like what was going and what his reason for being against uh, the good guy is because like that's the other thing too laufey and laufey is not a bad guy to thor he's a bad guy to odin and that's also a key thing like the protagonist of this movie is thor and laufey is not a villain for him um, he's a villain for Odin and you even see it because he goes after Odin in the Odin sleep. And of course that was again, a tool for Loki to use to, to fake his own goodness, um, to, you know, to, to, to get in good with everyone on Asgard and to say the destroyer, he's a literal like tool because he's just there to guard and obey orders. So that's a key aspect of it is that I think if you're going to be the villain of a story, you have to be the villains of the hero or to the protagonist at the very least. Um, and that's not the case with those two characters. So that's my argument for these guys not counting um in other movies it works like the other movies justin hammer and vanko they're both villains to iron man and i think that yeah maybe we just take this case by case to a to a certain degree because i don't know what you do when you get to age of ultron like do you consider ulysses claw is he a villain in the movie or do you not rank him you know things like that he was there for like five minutes (laughs) yeah i guess he's only there for five minutes he got his arm ripped off so he he was ranked pretty low yeah didn't do well did not do well didn't do great didn't Uh, do great but um, yeah, we'll, well, talk to me then more about the villain arc of this because you and I Let's are get into it <laughs> very, very, very high on on Loki, and I even want to start bringing feedback into this. Of course, super at postshowrecaps.com is the way to get your feedback into us, and obviously, just like a, a crazy amount of support for for Loki here from the crowd. Uh, Krista writes in, if Loki isn't the number one villain, we riot. Uh, <laughs> Alex Yankovic, Loki is great and one of the best MCU villains. He really shines more later on in the franchise. He's a little let down here by the lackluster story is Alex's take. Uh, Wes writes in, he's actually better here than in Avengers. His motivations are clear. He has a plausible plan. Never intended to go one-on-one with Thor. Um, and it's Phoebe who writes in here and says, Loki stands are going to come for me, but I can't stand the villain glorification. He's hilarious and very handsome, but that doesn't change the fact that he almost killed his brother. His dad also killed a bunch of people in Avengers. Plus, he put his dad in a nursing home. Come on, MCU fans, you could do better, uh, is Phoebe towards all you Loki stands. But it's a great character arc, uh, and it's just such a great performance from, from Loki. Um, 
Go, Kevin. Unleash. Give us I, I'm about verbal to. diarrhea about Loki and Tom Hiddleston as the I'm character. About to. And I I want to preface everything by saying I love Loki as a villain and I love him um, as a character. And you'll see that reflected in my ultimate scores as he appears multiple times throughout this franchise or series of films. Um, but here's what I have to say about Loki. And it's really interesting. Tom Hiddleston nails the role. He does a really good job here. He does a great job here, and we do really like him immediately. I mean, what we like about him is that we see him essentially become a villain. We see him break as a person, you know, as he screams that tell me scene, which is a little bit over the top, but I think that scene really solidified Tom Hiddleston and Loki in people's mind as like a great character because you saw someone turn. Before he was like, oh, he let Laufey into the into the back door, but he did it for fun because he, he's the god of mischief. That's what he does. But this is the moment you see him start to become a villain, and we see that happen. Now, that all said, I, I, I do think he's way better in Avengers. I think the Loki we all truly, truly love is seen in Avengers. That's the one that kickstart who this guy is. This one is a straight-up villain to an extent, and now he's a complicated villain. He has villainy, you know, villainous motivations and stuff like that. But I, I, I hate to say I do, to an extent, agree about the villain glorification, but I, I do. And I think it's weird, because here's what I have to say about it. Loki has things going for him uh, that work for a crowd. Loki is an aesthetic. It's the easiest way to put it. Like, look at his look, look at his style. Loki is a mood. Yeah, exactly. And it's easy to see why he became so popular because he is made for a very specific crowd. And that is an internet crowd, specifically a vocal fan fiction crowd, to say the least. Um, And that's not a knock at all. But I think that's where it comes from. Like, he he has this angst and he has these dad issues that play well to the type of stories that we like seeing and the type of stories people relate to really well. It's the Draco Malfoy effect to, to a certain degree. Like, people did the same thing with Draco, and they gloss over his actual villainy. I think there's a lot of reasons for that. I mean, psychologically, he's super attractive. He's very charming. He's very likable. So we're easy to forgive a lot of the stuff that he does. Uh, it's the same thing with um, Kylo Ren, which that, if Loki is the good version of a villain's journey and path of redemption, Kylo's Don't like the worst. Don't kick a hornet's nest. Don't kick a hornet's nest. Sorry, I, I just kicked Let's, it briefly. But um, I think Loki... Tap. Yeah, light tap. I think Loki works really well, but it was clearly done in a way that plays to a very, very vocal crowd. And we all love him, but I do think we get lost in the fact that he is a villain and he did very, very bad things. He redeems himself, ultimately, well... You know, he he does a good thing to help redeem a lot of the wrongs he did, um, which is a great journey and a great path we see. But we don't get a lot of that here. And here he's straight up a villain. But we relate to him because he has this thing about finding out his past and being lied to and, like, feeling unloved by his dad. Like, that's all points that people can understand. I mean, a lot of us have dad issues. We get it. Uh, So... It's tough. Like I said, I think he's a great villain. He's phenomenal. But I also think he's a villain that was built to be popular. Almost. There was no way it wasn't going to happen. You were made to be popular. Um, popular. There's, but, but <laughs> there's, just some, there's just some stuff about... I think the biggest piece of it for me is just... He's just a remarkable actor. Phenomenal is, actor. Is, is the thing. Both Hiddleston and Loki <laughs> are both <Yeah>. phenomenal actors. <laughs> Uh, and like he comes in like he's sharp dressed when he comes to Thor and he's like, dad's dead. Yeah. <laughs> uh, mo- mom's forbidding you from, co- I'm so sorry. Like th- the way he plays all that's really, really, really good. Um, but the scene that really does it for me 
And like it's it's really easy to like credit scream acting and like uh you know like kind of put that on a pedestal when someone really really goes for it rather than like the quiet subtle smaller performance. But I think like you got to imagine like what how 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 many takes did they do of the scene with Hiddleston and Hopkins in the chamber and the confrontation of uh I'm a frost giant and you never told me and why didn't you tell me and like literally this not nobody because I don't want to diminish his his credits from before he became uh Loki and joined the Marvel Cinematic Universe but not a household name by any stretch of the imagination um and this is by far and away the biggest thing he's ever done up to this point and here he is standing across from Sir Anthony M effing Hopkins screaming in his face and screaming the man into the Odin sleep. Uh, and, and for me, I think watching that, there's just, there's a lot of strength required in a person to make that feel believable. Cause when you cast Anthony Hopkins as the all father, right? Like, you know, the, the King of Kings, the God of gods, um, that's, you know, you're you're you really aimed high and you got it and if you now have to bring in a character who can take that man down and it's somebody who's a relative unknown and is able to step up to the plate like that now i'm really really impressed uh and i was really impressed with hiddleston from that moment forward i was already like enjoying the character the first time that i watched the movie but i do remember that scene being a real turning point for me um i think for everyone to understand like that's the scene you know that tell me yell while over the top was really good you see the emotion in his eyes you see the heartbreak you see the the drama you see a man become a villain and i think that is that is what made a lot of people turn and and one like tom hiddleston as an actor but also as loki as a character because we kind of felt it um and what he was going through and that's also like the ending of this film the fight that happens uh between him and thor is better than almost all the other fights we've seen in an emotional level because there's there's a connection there between these characters they're they're brothers we've seen it we've seen them fight it gets more and more hardcore as as we'll go into the future films but there's that depth to that battle that that i think lasts better than a lot of the other ones we've seen which is also it's the better fight versus the other one we saw with the destroyer which was just what a letdown Um, well as soon as he thors back up Right, and like, I think it's game you know, over. <laughs> man, I I loved the fight when it was happening between Sif, the Warriors Three, and the Destroyer armor. I wish there was more. There was some. There was such interesting. That was doing the thing I was talking about. The setting was perfect. Like you had the the environment be a real part of that battle. It lasted two minutes though, and then even worse, the moment he becomes Thorified and gets his armor, they go into a, a blank gray tornado right. and just spin around, and it's like a second and it's over. And it's just it's, it, they really Ivan Venko that. And it's right. disappointing, you know. But when he confronts Loki, you have emotionality there. You have such, you know, interesting choreography as well, you know, like uh, uh, camera work aside. Um, that was really cool and really interesting. And, I, yeah, it, it's well, what I, I think really it's, works. I, I think it's the best fight scene through four movies uh, without question. The best final fight is this oh, movie. Oh, for sure. And I think, Without a you know, doubt, it's not, it's not even a little bit close, but I think, it's, I think it's compelling because like, I actually don't think it's choreographed especially well. Um, like, I think that there is... Maybe, maybe, maybe that's not it. it. Maybe it really is just sort of like the jankiness of the filmmaking, but I do think that there's jankiness in the filmmaking. Of for it. sure. 
of like you know some like the very like queer like wire work of Chris Hemsworth like flying at Loki and stuff like that. Um, but I actually think maybe this is a, a, a hot take. Uh, that I think by and large the action in this movie is not very good. Uh, I think like maybe like the, the Jotunheim scene is, is kind of cool just at the moment because you hadn't seen anything like that in these movies yet. He it's punched different. a hole in a cave troll, dude. <laughs> it, it's different. Like that's kind of cool. But like the destroyer scene is a real miss for me. Um, I really don't care for the Warriors three that much, just maybe because like, I know what a Ray Stevenson actually looks like and like buried underneath like that big beard. It just never really worked for me. I also, uh, when Ray Stevenson was cast as a uh, Volstag, I mistakenly for the longest time thought that Ray Winstone had been cast <laughs> as Volstag, who is, uh, Mr. French and the departed and, uh, Beowulf and the Zemeckis Beowulf. Uh, he's just a great actor and so many things. And man, he would have been a killer Volstag. Uh, and so once I, I then had to readjust, I was like, wait, the Punishers of Volstag just never really liked it. Never really liked Fandral. Uh, and like when Destroyer has Volstag pinned to the, to the hood of the car, uh, like I always thought that it was just like shot very awkwardly. So none of that really works for me. Um, it works for me for Thor versus Destroyer only insofar as I fully buy that Thor would just wreck Destroyer because he's <laughs> Thor. So yeah. the second he Thors up, that's totally believable to me. But the final fight is by far and away the best fight uh, of any of these movies so far through four. Uh, Thor uh, is because that's what Kenneth Branagh is brought in to do. That's what Chris Hemsworth and Tom Hiddleston are able to do so well is they really capture the literally the Shakespearean aspects of this and like the feelings of like betrayal as there is sort of this King Lear thing going on of uh, Loki doing all of like this jaded like half brother type uh, chicanery behind the scenes to snatch the crown and make his dad like he like shouts his dad into the Odin sleep makes him crazy <laughs> uh, and it's the emotion that's baked into that fight take away the Jane Foster stuff if you want uh, even though I love Jane Foster and I think Natalie Portman's great and I think that that's something that we probably deserve uh, or something that deserves a little more conversation knowing that she is shockingly somehow going to be coming back uh to the mcu um like take that stuff out and that motivation out uh everything and how it plays out between like even like odin rushing in at the end and now it's the full family affair i loved it i really i really really loved it then i really really loved it now and i think that that all uh lands primarily on um on performance and that is the the extent to which i think kenneth branagh as director of this movie deserves the most credit and earns every ounce of it. I think on that level, he directs the shit out of this movie. Yeah. And I think, you know, for sure. And I think the, the, the devotion to building up that emotion. So that final fight meant that was important. And I think, like you said, kind of was about character driven uh, narrative and uh, the performances and we saw it pay, pay off. And I, I always think, Things like that are can be so much better than just a flashiness, and it's going to be a weird comparison. But I often think about the fact of you know Star Wars. If you look at the Phantom Menace, right, like the Phantom Menace ending fight scene is the flashiest, craziest fight scene. But that fight scene is meaningless to me compared to the one from like Return of the Jedi, which is actually of the originals my personal favorite fight scene. But Luke and Vader going at it at that point has so much emotion behind it, and while it's not flashy, while it's not flippy, while it's not kicky. Um, there's it's way more powerful you have a moment where like 
Luke comes running out and is just wailing on Vader. And it's so much better in that moment because it's a father and a son and the threat of Leia. Like, there's so much going on versus, like, well, he did a flip upside down and he swung his lightsaber. That's cool, right? And you're like, yeah, but I don't give a, you know, like. <laughs> yeah. um, but this did that. It did It did the thing that we need. And we do see it. And sometimes that we have it in, in the future films. Sometimes we don't. The good ones have a great balance for it. But I think... I think this did the real emotionality well and, and, and rewarded that work in that final confrontation. And Loki letting go of the staff, like, we felt it. Again, that, that they did really well with this character. Because you yeah. see, like, so much of what he's doing was also just to try and please his dad to an extent. And I love, I love the fact that you keep bringing up the, the shouting him as Odin sleep. He has that moment, right? He has that moment where he's just like, oh, shit, like, I could leave him. What do I do? But... I love the fact that he chose to call the guards. It would have been so easy, and I think incorrect, to have the flip switch so hard to be like, and now I'm going to let my dad die after this. But no, he was still like a somewhat decent person to be like, I don't want my dad to die. And right. so like, I think that's great that they did that. I, I think you, you, they, they really handled the villainy of that character well, and that's why we all fell in love with him. It's, it's 100% a major part of it is the performance and Tom Hiddleston, but they did well building that character. And again, but for the internet crowd and, you know, myself included, I'm one of the Loki fans. Um, the, he was Bill for it. Like he, he is a mood. He is an aesthetic and he is a meme waiting to happen. And that is what he became. And I think uh, uh, he, he did. I think Hiddleston really threw himself into it. Uh, yes. My, my, my former colleague, when I was back at MTV, the great Josh Horowitz uh, does this, uh, this recurring bit of parody videos. Um, uh, a short series called After Hours, and there's a, a I I got to imagine if not the most successful and widespread one he ever did, certainly up there uh, was this video called Lokied. Have you ever seen Lokied before? I have not. I know it's, of After Hours, but I so, did not know so, Lokied. So so Josh interviews. Uh, I'll say Horowitz so that we don't confuse the Joshes because we're both bespectacled New York Jews uh, <laughs> named Josh. Uh, Horowitz inter- sits down with Tom Hiddleston for an interview, and then Tom Hiddleston uh, proceeds to reveal that he actually is like the god of mischief. He's actually Loki, and then he keeps looking directly into the camera, going Lokied. <laughs> the bad guy twisting this fake little mustache that he's got and then he does all these like really petty pranks uh on on horowitz where like uh he like maxes out his credit card so he can't buy lunch uh he does like all this other stupid stuff and that went really 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 viral and became like this whole big meme of like what it's like to get lokied uh and hiddleston really embraced that and that was fun. I got to watch some of that get filmed. So that that's a great historic moment for for me. Uh, he actually ends the video to spoil the video uh, where there's uh, he shows up pretending to be like a mailman, uh, and uh, he he like shows up to Horowitz's office pretending he has a package for him uh, as a guy named Steve. And he's like, "Yeah, I know it's you, Tom. It's you know not Steve." He's like, "No, I'm Steve." And he's speaking in this uh, American accent. That apparently is, uh, and like you hear it, and like it sounds like very familiar. And Hiddleston just does this like killer Chris Evans impression, uh, and so he's Which just like we see, <laughs> yeah, he's just like speaking in full Chris Evans voice. Uh, so that's 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 very funny. So I think that he leaned into that. I think he really leaned into the internet culture, of, and he should have. Like I mean, honestly, I, I love that for actors. Like you know, at this point, Chris Evans is just Captain America, but. You know, I think being excited about the role, I think leaning into the role, I think rewarding the fans and being thankful to the fans for, for you know, propelling him to where he is. I think that level of, again, fan service 
works. It, it, I think I think is beneficial. And you even see it, it like came to Comic Con one year, dressed to the nines as yes. Loki for some reason. Like and it was really you know, cool. He was he he's he's a real team player, and like there's a reason why. Uh, like yeah, again, like we're, we, we're this is a project where we're talking about all the Marvel movies that exist right now. So yeah, we're gonna say it. He dies in yep. you know in infinity uh, in yeah in Infinity War infinity right? War. Yeah, they kill him in Infinity the very beginning. War. Uh, and they're, you know, they've found a way with their multiverse stuff that like, they will have a version of him continuing on and they're going to make a Disney plus show, uh, around him. And it's no question why he's such a fan favorite and Hiddleston loves the character and the fandom so much. So it's, it all makes a lot of sense. Let's get into some feedback, Kevin, uh, cause there's a lot more to talk about. Feedback can guide us through it. Um, a couple of comic book questions for you. One comes from Stefan Johnson and one comes from Brendan Fitzpatrick. From Stefan Johnson, he wants to know, who in the comics can pick up Thor's hammer? That's question number one. Uh, hmm. And Fitzy asks, do the comics do a better job of explaining how the Bifrost works? Because I still don't really get it. It's a bridge, but it's a weapon, but it's a portal. Um, so do you have anything on either of those fronts, Kevin? Yeah, so um, the the first question is a little difficult to to run the full answer on because like... Cap clearly can wield the hammer. a lot of people, yeah. Cap can in the as comics... We see. Storm, we'll talk about that more as we go through. We can save that for later. Uh, Storm from the X Men can lift the uh, lift Thor's hammer. What? And becomes, really? Yeah, and becomes Thor for a brief period of time. Oh shit! I had no um, idea. So Storm, uh, Cap, Superman uh, actually can lift the hammer. Um, <laughs> he, he did. It's crossovers. I, I buy um, it. And uh, those are the ones that come immediately to mind. Uh, what about I'm, Beta Ray Bill? Well, Beta Ray Bill can, and then he gets his own hammer as well, because he also becomes Thor for a brief period. Uh, people don't know who Beta Ray Bill is, but uh, the possibility that he's going to be in the next Thor is very exciting to a few people. I'm going to give a shout-out to one of my friends, uh, Sheldon Price, who is a huge Beta Ray Bill fan uh, and nearly passed out. It's his year. He, he's a Mysterio and a, and a Beta Ray Bill fan, so his like, time as a Marvel fan is coming. Uh, and between, Beta Ray Bill is is basically Thor, but a horse alien. Horse alien, yeah. He's horse alien Thor. Uh, if you don't know him, Google him. Uh, he, he looks like Thor. Look. He looks exactly like Thor, except his head is a horse head. Yeah, and actually Stormbreaker, which is the hammer that we see later in Endgame, is Beta Ray Bill's hammer. Um, so cool. it's it's really cool, the references, and it looks exactly like that, pretty much. Um, so it's really cool. How about to, the to Bifrost? How about the Bifrost? The Bifrost. That, um, I, I really don't have a better clarification. I mean, really, it's whatever the writer decides the plot device wants to be. I mean, ultimately, yes, it is a bridge, but since Asgard exists within a different universe compared to our Midgard universe, it also technically is a portal. Um, so it is a transportation mechanism that the uh, Asgardians use to move from universe to universe and place to place. That's also from the mythology. Uh, so we see it there as well. It's the the rainbow bridge, they call it. Um, and so that's a, just something sure. Isn't mythology. that where uh, Pardo and Bella are? Uh, didn't my cats cross the rainbow bridge? Oh, they absolutely did. Uh, Pardo running for his life as Bella chases him isn't, down. Isn't that what they say when, you're, <laughs> when your animals leave you? You meet them on the other side of the rainbow bridge. So I imagined the, the, the late, great Leopardo DiCaprio and Isabella Catalini are waiting for me on the other side of the rainbow bridge. Uh, so does that mean we go to Asgard when we die? I mean, that would be pretty cool. I mean, that's sort of how the, the Valkyries work. Well, they go to Valhalla, but yeah, that would be... <laughs> I guess depending but, on what but, you but believe. But what about now? Doesn't As- Asgard's not even there anymore. So Somebody... Fi- well, the A- Asgards are... Uh, <laughs> does that mean we people. go to, like, <laughs> Norway? place. When you die, you go to Norway. Cool. <laughs> I don't know. Good. I guess. I don't know if I'd fit in very well in Norway, just in general. 
Uh, it, might, it might be fun. It might be different. You hey, man, know. I'll be Heimdall. I'll take that role. Let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Kevin, I would love to see you guarding the Rainbow Bridge. <laughs> you would let a lot of things through. I can't we believe we glossed over Idris Elba, by the way. <laughs> oh, no, we've got Idris Elba coming up. Okay, we're, cool, we're, cool, cool. We're going through the feedback. We'll get there. We'll get there for sure. Um, some more comments about Chris Hemsworth as Thor and just Thor's arc in general. The great Professor Strunk. Uh, I've forgotten, for lack of a better term, how big of a dick thor was for a large proportion of this movie he says uh strunk notes actually made note of the first time thor did anything semi-redeemable or positive and it's not until 42 minutes and 43 seconds when he says i meant no disrespect by smashing the coffee (laughs) mugs uh yeah thor's a jerk yeah that's his whole that's his whole arc though it's really funny because it's sort of his arc this movie is all about like thor learning to be worthy and learning humility but by Ragnarok and 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 uh and after Endgame, he sort of like looped back around. But worthiness is a lot more than that. And I think Thor Thor is still a good person, but he's allowed to be a dick, but still be a good person. I mean, that's what I have to believe, or else I'm I can't look you're at myself in the screwed. mirror. Yeah, you're so. also screwed. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. Me too. So, uh, but no, Thor's a major dick, and and that's sort of like the the characterization he needs to have, especially at the beginning. You know, uh, as he goes through his character journey. Um, 42 minutes is actually a good call because it usually should ha- start happening around the midpoint anyway that he's starting to make that turn. <laughs> yeah, he starts to turn once he's like, oh, I shouldn't have smashed the coffee. All right, I gotta get on. I gotta get on a better groove with what's happening here on Earth. I need a horse. <laughs> uh, the great Jason Lee writes in. He says the main flaw of the movie is that Thor isn't given enough time to convincingly have a redemption arc. He isn't banished to Earth until 30 minutes in, and then he doesn't have his extremely predictable personal low moment of not being able to lift his hammer until about an hour in. The transition that follows of, oh, I was so wrong about everything, and also I love this Earth woman, is about as gradual as flipping a light switch, says Jason. I mean, he's not wrong. We, we kind of talked about that a little bit, right? Like, I think yeah. parts of other the movie people, are Other rushed. people like the hero's journey for Thor, but uh, I, I think you and I agree that it, it does feel fast. Mm-hmm feels fast it feels a little hasty i just i i forgive it i give it some forgiveness because i think so much of it of the other stuff is working really well and that this is a really hard job is bringing this one to life um the hawkeye question uh professor strunk uh (laughs) professor strunk isn't even asking us about like uh so hawkeye being in here what are your thoughts on like the historic nature strunk's question is why would hawkeye grab a gun first instead of a bow and arrow like, isn't that his thing? So, like, why was he even flirting with the gun? I mean, Professor Shrunk is absolutely right, and I have an answer. I mean, the answer is um, because uh, the movie needs to establish uh, why, like, what, 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 the, what the big deal about him. Because if you just grab the bow and arrow, you'd be like, okay. But the fact that, like, he had an option to use a gun, but he Can't chose Can't you have the camera, like, pan from the gun and somebody walking through, and then, like, his hand is hovering above it, and it lifts the bow and arrow instead, and it never goes for the gun? I mean, it has to... has got to be a better way to shoot it. It has to be the reach, because, like, I mean, as, as dumb as it is, it, it is just one of those psychological things to see someone reach for something that you know is, like, the more powerful weapon, quote-unquote, but then choose to go for this other one makes it this idea that, oh, my God, he went for, for the bow and arrow. That's that's crazy. Uh, by the way, apropos of nothing but going back to the Ultimates again, one of the coolest moments in the Ultimates is Hawkeye actually picking up a gun at one point, and it's just like, mm-hmm. oh, my God. Like It's almost like he uses the bow and arrow just to give people a chance because if he had a gun, it would just be like, well, that's it. It's over. It's done. He won. That's funny. He, he killed them. <laughs> that's funny. Um, let's talk about the Night King. 
the it's Night not King. Not the Night King. <laughs> the Night King. Fitzpatrick asks us, "Who came first, the Night King on Game of Thrones or the Frost King?" The uh, Frost King. That's why yeah, we can't sure. call him by, by a couple of years. Uh, Mike Edwards writes in, uh, "I feel bad for Laufey. His world lost a war and was left in a shambles. Naturally, he paid the consequences of that. But Odin took his son. That's horrible. He never went looking for trouble until trouble came looking for him." He doesn't do much besides get used as a tool. He's even a bit difficult to understand. So to sum it up, he's a bit flat as a character, but his motives are easy to understand. So that gives him a big boost for me. Yeah. And again, I, I think, I, I think they hit the nail on the head though, right? Like that's why I don't consider him a villain in the story. Cause he's a villain to Odin. He has no beef against Thor. He has no reason to go against Thor on this. Um, and it's interesting, you know, when that will come back around in Thor Ragnarok. Um, and we can make that journey there because, like, technically speaking, Hela is against Odin. Um, yeah. But when there is no Odin and there's only a king, it becomes a different situation. Um, Andrew asks. And Andrew's uh, popping the bottle on the, on the, the Natalie Portman of it all. Uh, Andrew says, did seeing Natalie Portman in this get you more excited to see her back in Thor Love and Thunder? Or do you think we could do without... To me, she doesn't seem like a good fit for the MCU. I enjoy her in this and a lot of their stuff, uh, but not sure I, could, I care to see her back in the new one. Um, just talk to me a bit, Kevin, about Nat Poe as Jane Foster in this movie and the fact that we are going to get her back because like, she like very famously did not enjoy making these movies um, and, and how surprising it might, it might be that we're looking at a future where Jane Foster returns for a Thor movie. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm, I mean, like, one, I, I mean, I don't know what happened and why she didn't enjoy making these movies, so that makes me curious. I mean, she was in the Star Wars prequels. Um, but I do, well, I also... Uh, well, I, I think we'll, we'll get into it a little bit more in Dark World. Oh, okay. Well, I'm yeah. excited for that. So many yeah. bad things about Dark World, I guess. Um, yeah. But I, I do like Natalie Portman, and I do like her as Jane Foster. Like, there's nothing I have against the, the, her as a character and her as an actress, and especially her being in this movie. And, you know... Um, it's it's an interesting thing because I am excited to see what they do with the character in uh, the next Thor, Love and Thunder, but I'm not excited to see a continuation of a love story between them. And I don't necessarily know if it's even going to be there, um, but I, I, I do think it's interesting. I mean, there's nothing wrong with her as a character. I think what they did with the love stuff is a detriment to the character, if anything, um, you know, again, just making her a regular old love interest as opposed to like her own individual thing. That said, fun fact, um, this is the first movie to pass the Bechtel test. So um, say what you will about that. Uh, Thor actually was the first one to do it. The other movies didn't. And having Kat Dennings um, and and uh, Lady Sif, and although a lot and majority of the conversations were about men, uh, Kat Dennings and Natalie Portman did talk not about that. And I think that's that that's great to actually have that. But I think that also says a lot that it took until Thor until that happened. Um, uh, you're, you bring her up. You've evoked her. Kat Dennings. Kyle Strand asks us, even though her role is next to pointless and thinly written, I still adore Darcy as a character, probably just because I love Kat Dennings. Do you expect to see her in Thor Love and Thunder? I don't know where she goes in the comics, but I think they could invent better things for her to do in the film series. Yeah, she gets the great line of the movie when she says, meow, meow. What's meow, meow about, about Mjolnir? Um, have I, I think, once upon a time, Kevin, we did. We were doing uh, last year. We were doing um, a little bit of uh, Marvel podcasting uh, after Endgame, after Spider Man. Uh, you and I got on the line after the Comic Con reveal. We wanted to talk through some of that stuff. Remember how and there I, are movies that are coming out? <laughs> I know, and and I and I think I think I threw out this take then, 
but I, I will do it again now because I just want to like plant this flag in the ground. And if I'm right, I can point back to it and be like, Wiggly, you got it. Um, I definitely think Kat Dennings will be back for Thor Love and Thunder. And I think that the plot of Thor Love and Thunder is going to be Valkyrie is getting married, needs a queen of Asgard, and that queen is going to be Darcy. And that it's go- the movie is going to be the rival bachelor and bachelorette parties for Valkyrie and Darcy, which is how Jane Foster shows back up via Darcy as the as the maid of honor and Thor as Valkyrie's best man. And that's where the love and thunder is all going to come in. That's I, my hot take. Spicy take. That's I, what I think we're going to get. I mean, that could be very, very fun. I don't. I mean, curious to see how they're going to make it that a Valkyrie somehow runs into Kat Dennings um, as Darcy. Like, I, I'm curious to see that play out. Look, Taika Waititi is doing it. play it, so it I'm, off screen. I'm, I'm in no matter what happens. But look, I, I'll, I'll take the hit here because I don't want I'm not going after Kat Dennings. I know a lot of people love Kat Dennings. And I have nothing against Kat Dennings. She's very amusing. But I will say this about this movie, and my question is to the audience here. Uh, do you think they actually wrote lines for Darcy as a character, or they just let her on set and just told her to be Kat Dennings? Because like that's my major issue with it, yeah. is just she's just Kat Dennings. And she says stuff, and people barely react, which makes me feel like she wasn't even a character in. They just put her in scenes and was just like, say a Kat Dennings thing, and she did. And they're like, Fine. great. If that's what it was, yeah. it's a good choice. Like, it's wrap it, choice. ship it, we're done. Like, uh, But, you know, again, nothing against her. I just, I can't get super behind the character, because it's just like Kat Den- Dennings being adorable, which, yeah. sure, but it yeah. doesn't really do anything in terms of like an actual character development. I think we'll get her back. I think we'll get her back. It's my hot take is that Darcy's fate has become the queen of Asgard. <laughs> I think that's going to be great. If that, I, it'll, I be right. it'll be something. It'll be something. I'll feel so smart. Um, <laughs> Jason Lee, once again, what the F is Odin sleep? He says, <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they didn't even mention it once in the movie until Tony hops all of a sudden just collapsed and Loki's like, he went into the Odin sleep. And everyone's like, oh man, not the Odin sleep. Uh, so what is the Odin sleep? Just like every like few hundred years, he's just like, I'm tired. I mean, basically, yes. That, that yeah. again, another thing straight out of North, Norse mythology okay. is that Odin is an all powerful God, but every now and then he needs to go to, go to bed for a while. Um, so he goes into the Odin sleep and then reawaken, uh, when the time, when the time comes and he's recharged. So like, that's just, again, another thing that was just like, well, it's in the mythology. I guess we should just put okay. it in here. Um, but I do like how he just <laughs> Loki's yelling at him, and he's just like, oh, I'm, uh, "I gotta take a nap," but, which is also just to an extent insulting. Can you imagine having this emotional, traumatic moment with your dad, and he falls asleep while you're asking all these questions? I'm tired. Yeah, yeah, yeah that'd be very frustrating. Oh, well, that happens with my dad a lot. So. <laughs> yeah, my father falls into the Wiggler sleep with regularity <laughs> uh, when we're talking. Um, all right, let's get into Idris Elba. Uh, yes, yes, Brendan yes, Fitzpatrick yes. says, is Idris Elba the biggest actor with the smallest role in all of the MCU? No. Um, did you say no or yes? No, no. Um, th- there's, there's, a, there's, there's much bigger uh, in Guardians. Uh, well, Volume 2. Guardians Volume 2. Uh, oh, sure, sure, yeah, sure. Yeah, like sure, you yeah, have yeah, Stallone yeah. and Miley Cyrus show up. Yeah, it's uh, true. It's and that true. sort of like blows it out of the water, I think, without question. Like, I love Idris Elba, and I think to an extent he he's a huge role for this. But like, as much as like we all love Idris Elba, he's nowhere near the level of 
Stallone, Anthony Hopkins, Miley Cyrus, uh, unfortunately, but like, yeah, and also, I mean, this is less more of a cameo, but like we we threw it out earlier, like not Luke Hemsworth, but Matt Damon was in Ragnarok yeah, sure, sure, as was sure. Sam Neill. So right, right. But like, I love that Idris Elba was in this movie. I want Idris Elba in more movies. Um, give give him a Heimdall spinoff. I don't care. But uh, he's dead. Is he? Um, yeah. <laughs> there's ways to bring these guys back. They did, JMS showed up. Do JMS a story, which is Idris Idris Elba did not like any of this and he was very Aww. public about how he did not enjoy doing any of these movies and maybe that that, that may have changed for Ragnarok because he was working with Taika but uh, Thor Thor 2 not only you know Thor The Dark World is a very easy bottom ranked movie because I, I think there was just a lot of turmoil behind the scenes on that one um, how about speaking of rankings let's get into it Kevin let's get into our Infinity Stones rankings uh, we've got three things officially to rank that we gotta just clarify where we are on some of our informal stones um, of course we're doing our movie rankings where I give a score from zero to six Infinity Stones so does Kevin the audience writes in to super at postshowrecaps.com with their score of the movie from zero to six we average the audience score up as the third data point and those three data points get averaged out to the final score, and that is how we are ranking the movies of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the villains of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and the post-credit scenes of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And we'll talk about uh, the post-credit scene for Thor through this mechanism. But first, let's talk movies. Kevin, um, I'm going to give it a 3.4 for I Thor. I can't believe you're going into these like point <laughs> non non by five factors which i know a you lot know, of people I, are doing I, I, almost, I was gonna do it 3.5 but then i felt like say 3.4 i get it uh, uh, which is why i did it that's a fair score i ended up giving it a three i think this is um a, a you, lot and I of, are, you and i are off by like some anywhere ranging from a half mostly a half point you and i are off on all of these except for iron man where we're a full point apart yeah uh but you're a three on thor i'm a 3.4 so close uh, you're a 2.5 on Iron Man 2. I'm a 3 on Iron Man 2. <laughs> Regretting, I think it is a little high. But, like, I did really enjoy the movie, so I got to be fair to the moment. Uh, and I gave Incredible Hulk a 1.5, and you gave it a 2. Uh, yeah. So th- this is tracking that you and I tend to be about a half point off. It is, and un- unsurprisingly, I'm, I'm, I'm a harsher, more bitter, uh, sad, angry man. Um, but I, I think there's a lot of great in the movie, but looking at the broader context of the MCU, I mean, my in, looking at my old ranking, and I, I, you know, I don't really see it changing. Thor one and Thor two are in my bottom four, while Ragnarok is in my top five. Um, but I, I, I see it still being there because there's so much else that's coming that I know it does really well. Again, that does a lot of what it's set up better. And I know your whole thing about like, oh, it came first and blah blah blah. But for me, in the long run, Thor is perfectly a three. It was very enjoyable to watch, but it had a lot of faults. And also, I mean, you can give it a 3.4. I would deduct points for the wig work. What is happening with Tom Hiddleston's hair? What's happening with Hemsworth's eyebrows? Like, yeah, what's guess, going on in that you know movie? <laughs> so I've always thought that the Loki hair is a little goofy. Uh, like In this movie? Really- in basically all of them. No, I don't know he's it, looking good later. Like, like by Ragnarok, Tom Hiddleston's looking pretty good. As uh, I don't know. It all, it all looks a little strange to me. <laughs> uh, maybe I'll, I'll reassess it at Ragnarok. Uh, I, I watched this for the first time considering the eyebrows, because Chris Hemsworth's eyebrows were dyed. Is that the deal? I, they're either dyed or fake. As I, I think believe, I believe they died. I believe they died. I believe it, it's all a die job. Yeah, it looks uh, not good. His beard as well. Like once I think they, Kevin Feige has said that that is his only true major regret 
uh, <laughs> across the, the early MCU movies is the dye work on on Hemsworth. It didn't bother me that much. I could maybe, not maybe look at him properly. Me more. This is a this yeah. is a this is an insanely attractive man, and I could not get over. So maybe it. that's where, where my point one goes from a three point five to a three point four. <laughs> it's <the> eyebrows. <laughs> yeah, it's the eyebrow deduction. Uh, so I give it a three point four. You give it a three. Audience is going to give it a three point one. That's the average, which brings us to three point one seven. Shoots movie rankings as they stand here for everything is super is Iron Man in a comfortable lead at 4.59 Thor behind it after a big gap 3.17 comfortably but not too comfortably above Iron Man 2 2.83 for Iron Man 2 and a pretty easy last place right now uh, 1.92 for the Incredible Hulk. The villains, Kevin, the villains. I got to give Hiddleston and Loki, and it's really for both of them. I'm giving them a five, like with the same energy that I'm giving Iron Man one a five as a movie like this. Like if I was cast, if I was ranking the heroes too, like I would I would do the same exact thing for Hemsworth. I think that they've got room to improve and they will improve. And I'm sure my Loki score will be better in Avengers. Um, But this is a guy who like had he just had to show up and like do such like high wire work in such a uh, such like a big risk capacity uh and just absolutely kills it and holds his own so well against so many different actors that are really really great uh so i'm gonna give loki a five uh i'm not that far off uh, shockingly um i am giving a 4.5 because hey, a half point again again uh because i do think he is better um as he goes i think the loki we all love is a loki that's going to be coming still as a villain in this movie, he's very strong. He's very well done. He's by far and away the best villain we've seen so far. Um, but I still think it wasn't perfect. They had faults to it. They had certain things that were just kind of like, well, but did you have to? Why did you do that, though? Um, but I think overall, like a 4.5 is, is the best score we've gotten so far. And I think that holds true. He's not a perfect villain. He's not a perfect um, point of conflict, especially because it gets weighed down with the Destroyer, with uh, Laufey. Um, you know, he's using them as tools, but there's still other pieces that he's moving around the board a little bit. Uh, yeah. So 4.5, I think, is solid. But believe me, it's definitely going to be going up, obviously, come uh, come uh, Avengers. I don't think it's probably going to land as high as a lot of other people because okay. I know that there's other villains I like <laughs> a lot, a lot more. But uh, that's, cool. that's, that's for the future. Audience average is a 4.3, so even a little bit under you, uh, which gives us a 4.6 for Loki with a really comfortable lead as the top bad guy on the board with Obadiah Stane. Obi Stane, closest competitor, (laughs) 3.13. Justin Hammer behind him, 2.65. Vanko behind Hammer, 2.17. I am going to make a ruling on the field uh, that we are not going to count uh, King Lofi or the Destroyer as bad guys here. Although you are encouraged to submit your rankings for for these bad guys in case Kevin and I decide that ancillary bad guys can count for the villain rankings. But these are just so low. They really are, I think, more props than anything that Lofi and the Destroyer we're just going to knock them out. Um, the audience average for Lofi was a 1.7 anyway, and for Destroyer, a 1. Uh, and Kevin <laughs> gave both of them a 0. Yep. So, like, what's the point? We're not going to do that. Uh, so we're knocking them out of here. They're not going to be on the list. But keep sending them in just in case, you know, our conversation gives us a change of thought uh, for, for some of the future movies, I mean. Uh, Lofi and Destroyer have both been effectively terminated. Uh, so after Ivan Vanko <laughs> in fourth, it's Emil Blonsky in fifth. I want that. I need that. Uh, and uh, Thaddeus Ross, who you would count as a Hulk villain in direct opposition to Hulk. He does yes. not count in that same category. I agree. I <laughs> yeah, agree. for sure. I agree. Nothing more needs to be said. Post-credit scene rankings. Kevin, this is the one where we're getting uh, both an Avengers tease 
and a cap tease at the same time, right? Because we're going to see the Tesseract for the first time. That's going to be a big deal in First Avenger. Uh, and it's going to be a big deal in the First Avengers movie. Uh, and Stellan Skarsgård here being set up with the continued survival of Loki uh, that he seems to be lurking uh, not far away from, from Stellan Skarsgård at this point in time. Um, so that's the scene. I remember enjoying that quite a bit because like, this was the one that felt like, all right, now we're starting to get some plot focus. We're getting some clarity on the story of the first Avengers. Didn't blow me away, but I would say like a 3.5 feels pretty fair for this scene. Yeah. I mean, for me, I, I gave it a three. Uh, just hey, another really, half point off. Wow. Yeah. But half point below. Following Kevin. Soon. Um, but I, I, I agree. It was very exciting because I think for me, what, what really pushes over the edge is, is the, the knowledge that Loki is returning. The knowledge that like Shield is going to be involved, Loki is going to be po- possibly the villain in, in Avengers, which is really exciting and really cool. The cap stuff is is we know in retrospect because at the time we had no idea the Tesseract was going to be a big part of Cap. We had no idea like Infinity Stones was not even a word that we thought would ever have been uttered in the history of the Marvel universe, a uh, cinematic universe that we were proven wrong clearly. Um, so it's hard to count that to be like, oh, it's a Cap tease because like we had no idea at the time. And even now, knowing that the Tesseract is a plot device in, Cap- uh, plot device <laughs> in Captain America is still, uh, uh, it's exciting, but it's, I don't think it, it rings like heavy, heavy. Um, so a three, I think, is a fair score. Sure. Uh, audience is higher on this than you and I. 3.8 from the audience, uh, which averages out to a 3.42. Second best post credit scene, according to the Everything is Super rankings, uh, right underneath Iron Man, which I, again, think it's gonna be very hard to dethrone i think that's gonna be right at the top yeah you and i have been doing informal rankings uh of the final battles the stanley cameos we talked this through a little bit already you feel good about this thor is the best final battle so far yeah without question uh and i still want incredible hulk above thor for the stanley cameo stanley hulked out there's a stanley out there in the mcu that is gamma radiated now it's good Remember, remember when you said that when you feel passionately about something, I'll I'll let it go. Uh, oh, but does that mean time? I'm now like passing the hammer back to you for the next one? Correct. <laughs> no, oh, it's I fine. Don't know I, I want to waste it. Here. Yeah, yeah. Don't waste it. It's fine. I, I'll I'll agree to that. I'll agree to that. It's a great cameo. We got to give Incredible Hulk something. So yeah, let it, don't let do, it have don't, this. Don't do this unless you really want to fight me on something. At which point, then I'm going to have to pull that card. But this feels agreeable. Yeah, it feels early for you to be playing that move, Kevin. Yeah, I got um, I got to hold on to that. I got to play with better strategy. Kevin, he's just a boring Boy Scout to so many people, but to you and I, he's our favorite character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Absolutely. Next week, we are getting into Captain America, the first Avenger. This may be a point of departure between Kevin and I and the audience because we are high on Steve Rogers' supply. Uh, I, For my money, the Cap movies, the hands down, the best, like, across the board, the best movie series within the MCU, uh, even better than the Avengers, I would say, because I think Age of Ultron is a, is a lower-tier Avengers movie in a way that if the first Avenger is the worst Captain America movie, not by much for me. Um, this movie is awesome, and I cannot wait to dig into it. I think it's going to be a really fun conversation next week. Absolutely. There's so much about this movie that I, that I love, that I'm excited about. We're both Captain America fans. I mean, This is near and dear to my heart. This was, at the time, the by far and away coolest job assignment I ever had in my entire life was I went to the set of Captain America, the first Avenger, and got to lay eyes on Hugo Weaving as the Red Skull and Chris Evans as Captain America in person and friends, I've got stories, and I will share them on the podcast next week. 
and I'm very excited to do so. I am super excited to hear a lot of this. Uh, I, yeah, I, I love Chris Evans. There's going to be a lot to talk about for me, I think, both in terms of the movie, but also um, um, personally in, 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 in the casting and, and how well it did and Joe Johnston, who directed it. Uh, there's a lot that I'm just going to save for next week, but I'm, I was excited about a lot of this stuff, but this is, this is the turn for me. This is the turn towards where I'm just like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. You know, like Cap is there, Avengers is coming, Iron Man 3 for me is coming. I'm, I'm really pumped about that um yeah man i'm i'm, I'm, I'm grinning I'm like crazy right as well. yeah i am as well all right so captain america first avenger coming next week get your feet back in super at postshowrecaps.com you can also tweet at us at postshowrecaps is our main account i'm at round howard kevin is at kev mahadeo we have our podcast feed available so please subscribe to it your ratings and reviews greatly greatly appreciated as we are trying to draw more people into the Marvel Cinematic Universe rewatch that we're doing here on Everything is Super. Um, Kevin, anything else? Uh, yeah, two things. Um, two things real quick. Uh, one, uh, Robin, I wanted to say that the... Oh, the, sure. The first words out of her mouth in this movie was, <laughs> huh, different fonts. <laughs> that was first words out, different fonts. Uh, loved it. Um, and the other thing I did want to share that we never, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't talk about, but I think it's, it's, it's worth bringing up, is uh, that shirtless scene um, when he comes out and he has no shirt on and you finally see Chris Evans, or not Chris Evans, Hemsworth, Chris Hemsworth yeah. ripped. That's the standard. Like, that was the first time we saw that happening. And it's set a thing in the in the Marvel Cinematic Universe now for all the, the main actors, you know, like your, your Evans, your Pratt, like Paul Rudd, like everyone showing up shirtless and ripped. But this is the, this is the first. This is the first moment. And I have... Two memories I want to share throughout this podcast from a theater experience. This is the first. Yeah. The other one's coming soon. Um, it's a wonderful theater moment. I was sitting there watching Thor. Uh, it was, I think, opening night. We're all watching this movie. That scene happens where he is shirtless, and there is an audible, like, visceral, just, <gasps> like, gasp from a girl in the crowd and I lost it. Like, that girl became a woman looking at Chris Hemsworth with his shirt off. And it was just so perfect. Like, so natural, too. Like, not planned at all. And it was just, like, incredible. That's incredible. That reaction. I love it. I will never forget that. That's hysterical. All right. Well, shirt was Hemsworth. Uh, what, how else are we supposed to wrap this thing up, you know? I think that that's, that would have been a post-credit scene. I think we'll forego a post-credit scene on the podcast this yeah. week because that, that would have been the one. <laughs> Uh, that's fantastic. That's absolutely fantastic. We're going to wrap it up here. No post credit scene. Listen to the outro music anyway, because it's such a delight. Uh, we'll be back next week talking Captain America, the first Avenger. Uh, check out everything else that's going on in post-show recaps. In the meantime, Lost Down the Hatch, Westworld finale coming up, Killing Eve still going strong. Just recorded a great Better Call Saul season five finale feedback with Antonio Mazzaro and Rob Sesternino. Uh, sporadic Final Fantasy VII remake podcasting happening here. So it's all happening here on Post Show Recaps. We'll be back with Cap next week. Take care, everybody. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.